Hello and welcome to Explore Your Core. I'm the host Elise and on this podcast we delve inwards to explore ideas around creativity, curiosity and the mind. Today I'm joined by Dr. Caitlin Harness. She's a psychologist and yoga instructor. Yeah, yoga instructor. Fantastic and thank you so much for coming on today. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me Elise. You're more than welcome. I'm really curious about helping people understand is of absolute fascination I guess yeah with explore your core that is my philosophy is just understanding the mind and body and seeing psychology and yoga come together I think is a really powerful and incredible thing and I was wondering if you could tell me how that all started like where did that interest come from yeah well I guess the background for me started from well I suppose actually it started with philosophy so the the kind of trajectory of my my story my experience was that when I went to university in Canada mm-hmm. I am Canadian I um I studied philosophy and that that didn't come organically in a sense I'd signed up to do physiotherapy and nutrition from recollection. So in my first year, I took philosophy as an elective. And that was where my heart lay. I I dove in, I loved it. I love this concept of, you know, essentially like this know thyself experience and understanding who we were and what this world was all about. Like I was meaning searching. And through that, it wasn't necessarily the Western generally that really caught my attention eastern philosophy really grabbed me so trying to match kind of action be it meditation or living within specific sort of lifestyle frameworks with our understanding of the world for the betterment of ourselves for the betterment I really enjoyed that and I, I suppose I really liked the underlying frameworks that sit with a lot of Eastern philosophical vantage points of, you know, connection, you know, that what we do matters not only to ourselves, but to each other, and that we are all connected, interwoven. So that is how my interest started. And then what paralleled was that one of my philosophy tutors was a yoga instructor. So I was very introduced to yoga by virtue of the fact he was offering a yoga class and I thought I might as well go along. You know, there was probably an element where, you know, I was somewhat seeking his approval in terms of my um, philosophical studies. <laughs> and it just so happened that I enjoyed yoga as well and actually sort of let go of the running I was doing at the time, which was probably underpinned by motivation that wasn't necessarily entirely self-compassionate in mm-hmm. nature, and fell into this this yoga practice and found in that experience, you know, peace for the first time. You know, these moments where my mind was like calm, you know, where there was like gaps between my thoughts and I I was okay with myself and my experience in this world. And I thought, wow, this is incredible. So I went and did my yoga teacher training. And then when I was teaching other people, you know, my students would share with me similar experiences like mental health benefits that they um, had found aligned with their yoga practice. And that got me interested in psychology. So when I finished my um, studies in Canada, I taught yoga for a year and then wanted to do more studies and came to Australia to do a psychology degree. And specifically, my PhD looked at the 
therapeutic benefit of a yoga practice, you know, for managing chronic stress and symptoms of anxiety and depression. So that's kind of how it all came together. And I think over the years, I've seen more and more connections between philosophy, psychology, yoga, like I don't necessarily see so many divides anymore. Like it for me feels really disciplinary in terms of all of these, you know, so-called frameworks through which we view the world and we seek to understand ourselves. Mm, that is so fascinating. And I think that's, yeah, really interesting how you've been able to find a tie. Because what I found a little bit tricky is when I'm studying psychology, what I'm learning is straight psychology. It's learning the theories of those areas. And I think there's something a lot more holistic, a lot more like of a zoomed out perspective of understanding the mind's one part of it, or learning about this social theory is one part of us as humans, but there's that greater connection and understanding that I think, yeah, incorporating yoga is really powerful. And I'm kind of on a similar similar path doing psychology. I just had like a yoga retreat last weekend and I'm traveling up the East Coast to do one at um, Krishna Village where you kind of stay and volunteer there. And I think that's really helped incorporate what I've learned with psychology in, in the bigger picture side of things and I think it's so easy to get trapped in one way like in terms of studying or learning about yourself it's so easy to delve inwards or go in one direction of understanding but I think zooming out can be really powerful as well and feeling like that whole connectedness and that whole understanding of self is really important too. For sure for sure and I, I think it you know we're not fused with one particular framework I think you know, we might understand that while the language is different from these different perspectives, that they're ultimately often kind of pointing in the same direction. And I, I think where where things might, from my seat, kind of be going in, in terms of this sort of Western uh, psychological framework we're sitting in, I think we are more and more stepping towards a real honoring recognition of the body, you know, particular trauma work, we are really um, leaning into the fact that we do need to be acknowledging what's happening in the body, that our experiences are so visceral and even polyvagal theory and um, these different psychological frameworks that acknowledge, you know, the very biological felt experience, neuroceptive experience we have, like it, it isn't necessarily totally conscious, right? You know, like something from the bottom up is driving our experience as much as we mm. might have top down. So just for an anyone who might not be familiar with those terms, you know, bottom up really kind of acknowledges like something is happening biologically, physiologically, and that then drives our perceptual experience versus top down is like we have a thought, you know, a perception, and then that drives a biological physiological experience. You know, it's both. It's not that one is more important or one sort of leads like it's really both in this because we have these huge fantastic minds that do you know construct <laughs> these wild thoughts and that can have you know an experience on our body but then something can go the other way as well mm, and I think as well it's like a matter of time until science catches up with what our body is capable like we're starting to learn about their brain gut and like how emotions sit in the body and so much powerful stuff that I guess you know years ago would never have made sense and now starting to realize like this is a really crazy concept that's actually yeah actually happening and 
I think there's a lot more to it that we're only just scratching the surface of what our body can tell us, what forms in our body, like, and what we can learn from it. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's really incredible and super interesting. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And you were talking about yoga as well as a way of kind of calming yourself. I, um, been like, yeah, a bit of a runner as well and love the adrenaline of adventure, but I've found with yoga a really beautiful space of meditation and finding myself in a different way. And I think what I got drawn to you and like wanting to reach out to you is I kind of feel this, you've really done a lot of internal work and kind of found out who you are, or at least followed a path that's very kind of true to yourself. What kind of sparked you to be able to realize where you are and where you were going? You know, it wasn't a direct path in a lot of ways. Like when I look back, I can connect the dots and I can tell this story of, you know, this happened and that happened, but it wasn't It wasn't that I had a clear path, if that makes sense. And I think it is Mm -hmm. still all unfolding. I I suppose in some ways, maybe the the thread is like really just that experience of of self and recognizing in my how healthful and helpful and therapeutic my yoga practice felt and like wanting to share that with others, like that motivation in that sense. And also on the other side, you know, I'm really mindful of misrepresenting or overstating what a yoga practice might offer. And for sure, similarly to you, like I've definitely had the meditative benefits. And I think for a lot of us, like in the beginning, sitting still with ourselves can be pretty overwhelming. Like a moving meditation can be a really useful way of kind of leaning into you know, enhancing our connection with our bodies, but doing it in a way where we have a focus point that might feel a little bit safer if our minds are feeling particularly overwhelming for us at a point in time. Yeah, I don't think that in and of itself, the, you know, in the West, what we often practice yoga, and I think what we're kind of referring to here is like the physical practice, right? The asana practice. Mm -hmm. I think that that in and of itself, Um, when we're struggling with our mental health isn't enough. Like I've definitely um, actively engaged in psychotherapy as well and Mm. paired it with my yoga practice because I think at least for me, it was the experience of learning language and psychological skills complemented the yoga practice. And when when I teach or when I framework, I I really try and offer and teach psychological skills that you can then use on the mat So you're actually practicing, utilizing psychological skills that you then take off because meaning in our lives is not just the experience of being dependent beings, our connections, our relationships, they matter. They matter enormously to us, to our world, you know, to the future of this planet. Um, And I think that when we're learning skills in different elements, like whether it's in a therapy room, whether it's um, a course, a book, whatever we're doing, if we're taking that then onto the mat, like it adds another layer and gives us another interpretation. And I think that's important because I do think at least some yoga studios, some teachers can le- lean into this sort of positive vibes only, like this good vibes only framework, you know, mm. want to look at it as, and yeah. I, I think it's super top- toxic um, and really harmful. Having other lensing is important. And I actually wonder if that lends more towards a holistic frame of yoga and the way yoga might have been cultivated as a lifestyle um, back in, you know, ancient wisdom traditions of India. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And like with the research I've been doing in psychology, yeah, a lot of findings are showing like meditation and mindfulness and yoga are really good 
injunction with, you know, CBT or other therapies or things as well, not just yoga alone. And that it really makes sense because it is a quite a holistic thing. Our, our life and our being like yoga can really enhance it or provide the space to be kind of thinking and healing. But I think there's still so much and I find I need a multi, like a multitude of things to make me feel really imbalanced or kind of healed. And that is, say, um, you know, adventuring, art, writing and yoga, like things, multiple things. And I think it's really hard when practices or um, businesses are promoting just one thing, being like, you know, this fitness regime will be like the best thing or, or just this or this thing in particular. And it's really hard because it's not just one answer and it's just not one one thing that will help. For sure. And like where people say that this thing will work for everyone as well. You know, we all have such different experiences and different histories. And I, I think if we believe that, then it adds to this lens that, oh, somehow we failed if something doesn't necessarily effectively in our journey. And I don't helpful narrative and I don't think that's accurate you know so I think if we kind of go well this is something to try like this is a tool in the toolkit and you know an effective toolkit has many tools (laughs) so if we keep kind of trying and adding and seeing in a given situation at this point in our lives which you know will be a different point tomorrow it gives us more opportunity to unfold and um of a sense that how would we, how would I language it? You know, like I want to say that if we fail, we have. I actually think if we can destigmatize that term failure, then it it takes some of the pressure off as well. Because like we can only fail when we're trying something, and if we keep trying and we're brave enough to fail and to look at that as a success, a learning opportunity, as much as we can, kind of in a culture that's told us failure is really bad and with us if we do that, I think we have a bit more room to play and explore and find our way through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's something really beautiful in the whole it doesn't work for everyone or that this is the answer because it just shows how unique we are. Like we have different personalities and different experiences and different ways that we've perceived the world and understood the world and like formed our own beliefs. So like knowing that we are individual, I think, is really beautiful. Like knowing that things aren't going to work for everyone just highlights our uniqueness, which is a beautiful thing that I think we keep seeming to like narrow down into the the one way, the one way to look, the one way to be, the one way to live. But I think we need to keep going back to that uniqueness that we have of, you know, genetic variability and of the influences our environment have to keep broadening it. And, and with that, like, have compassion, you know, we might suggest to someone who we care about who's struggling something that we've tried that's been helpful but I think then kind of going well that's not necessarily going to be the case for them and it kind of takes away some of this um this pressure that we maybe put on other people as well like understanding everyone's got their own journeys and we can kind of offer suggestions but that doesn't mean that it's the right thing for them either yeah yeah and it's beautiful to see the kind of the movement of Um, acceptance and positivity but as you were kind of saying about it being toxic like it is tricky as well that that's then sometimes taken into you know only positive vibes and like only good and and not acknowledging the pain and the discomfort and the I guess the so-called failures that happen in life like you yeah I guess having that kind of toxic mentality positive vibes only or like sugarcoating things makes it really hard as well because like well I'm not doing okay or I'm not feeling great and I can't be like it's all rainbows and sunshine or like I can say that this is all good and positive even when it's not I think that's another challenging thing that people are now facing from that movement yeah for sure and this is so I um run this course called yoga brain yoga brain 101 and 
One of the things that I really highlight in this course that integrates yoga and psychology is that really what we're aiming for in these practices is to like feel better, like feel our emotions, not to feel better in the sense of feeling good or feeling happy. Like we don't mm. get to choose that, right? Like if we just snap our fingers and feel happy all the time, we will do it. It wouldn't have been something that made sense evolutionarily for us because like uncomfortable emotions drive us to do things to make changes and the only way we survived on this planet was because we felt uncomfortable at times and had to go and seek food or you know get away from the tiger or organize fire or take care of our offspring or defend you know our our resources like we are designed to feel all the emotions and when we can feel our emotions that we're feeling and like label what we're feeling that actually often tames the intensity of the feeling and when we can notice it and name it we're kind of externalizing it from like our broader more transcendent sense of self which in some therapeutic perspectives we may call our observing self like when we can notice these emotional experiences these emotional experiences but we're having these emotional experiences and they catch us less off guard and we're not bound then by them right like i can feel super tired super cranky and i can still call up a family member that i know is struggling or make a laugh with my children like we can feel certain emotions if we know what they are we know what, that they're there we kind of have a choice as to how we into them and ultimately when we're going to do things in our lives deeply about experience uncomfortable emotions because love and pain will go side by side right <laughs> you know you you <laughs> almost can't love someone without this this sense of longing whether it's your mind anticipating what might happen or things that do happen difficulties that unfold but we have to be willing to have that pain if we care deeply about something so a meaningful life does entail suffering and pain you know this is part of being human yeah, yep, yeah. and you can't keep sugarcoating it as that everything's going to be positive. Like even if you do kind of change your life or like live the lifestyle that you want to have to, you know, promote and increase like happiness, you still can't remove that sadness. Like that is either lying to yourself or not not true. And, yeah, there's, it's really powerful to have those negative emotions. Like you were saying, like it's fundamental in evolution and it's so important for us because if it was just easygoing and happy we would never change anything in our life we'd be content where we are and sometimes it's really important to keep pushing ourselves to be out of our comfort zone and meet other people and go other places or try new jobs like those negative emotions tell us that something's wrong or they tell us to change and you can't yeah they're, they're meant to be there you shouldn't be trying to remove them yeah yeah they're messages and like you know if we lose someone in our life for instance who's really dear to us like I guess, would we want to not feel sad? Like, would we not want mm. to be impacted by life of this person or the loss of a relationship? Like, of course we're going to feel sad. And like, not to say that sadness and grief feels comfortable. It feels excruciating at times. And it tells me that someone's life mattered to me, you know, that it mattered greatly or that, you know, a beautiful relationship really mattered to me. It really impacted me. And when that grief or that sadness comes up at different points in time, then through my life, like to me, a marker that, that someone mattered and that that's actually a good thing. You know, do we want to go through our lives without actions, without impacting others or being impacted? 
like there can be real beauty in that if we are able to kind of hold the space and and the lensing for why we might have these feelings understanding your emotions i think is the most important thing rather than trying to remove them like i've been i'm probably the most content and happy i've been i've been kind of traveling and really feeling very in line with myself and it's not that i've removed sadness or negativity it's just that i don't know i have a very good acceptance of all emotions and i kind of just feel them more like if anything with traveling I've been in more uncertain situations and more uncomfortable situations and felt a lot more like intensely emotions but it's because I can recognize or understand or sit through them better that it hasn't impacted me in that way like it's yeah it's not the removal of emotions it's just that I guess understanding labeling or recognizing of them that's made such a massive difference to I guess my well-being for sure. And I, I think so. In, we have a word for less aware of our emotional state, which is alexithymia. Ooh. And alexithymia is something that's common, you know, in different, um, you know, depending on our, our sort of neurodivergence, like we m- might be more or less, um, less aware of our emotional state kind of just in, in terms of our wiring. But where we are, I guess, experiencing an alexithymic um, tendency because of a perhaps lack of like emotional awareness attunement in the way we were raised or how we're kind of interacting with the world. Now we can, we can gain our emotional acuity. Um, You know, we can enhance some of the early experiences, which, you know, a lot of us probably were subject to that might increase our vulnerability to alexithymia are things like stop crying you're fine get over it things are fine and you know if you're really sad and and really off and someone's saying oh no you're fine don't worry about it it's done why are you crying get over it we kind of go oh something inside feel good but I'm being told that it's okay so something's wrong this feels uncomfortable let me just press this down like repress it and we kind Mm -hmm. of lose emotional sensitivity and we know that it doesn't feel good, right? Like, you know, if we're upset and someone says, why are you so upset? Just get over it. Like, it's super unhelpful. Yeah. And yeah, really, like, again, <laughs> disconnects us from our felt state. So we almost have to fear our emotional state, not only to not recognize it, kind of to fear big emotions, big feelings, which isn't the most helpful. Then have this responsibility, um, should we choose to kind of reconnect and to notice our emotional state and our awareness and how we're traveling. And I, I think that really does help because we can, you know, notice what we're experiencing and then decide our behavior around that. And also kind of practice and acceptance of maybe when we don't act as our best selves, because we all do that, like no one that I know uh, who they would like to be 100% of the time we all mess up and if we can kind of understand the context we can you know practice some compassion for ourselves and figure out some changes some differences we might do next time when we will inevitably mess up again and and try again Mm, that is such a good point you raised though with kids crying that's so true because internally they're not okay like something's obviously affecting them or making them sad but then getting told they're fine it's like well I'm not but I'm gonna have to yeah do something about it but that I guess that dissonance and that conflict is a really big thing and for such a a young age a lot to be learned at a young age um moving forward emotions for sure and unfortunately in our society we're often teaching little people just doesn't necessarily mean that they uh, feel okay it just means that they've learned to repress or to tune off or to not cry because it makes other people uncomfortable. Mm, 
yeah which is so unhealthy but (laughs) yeah it seems to be that people are raising kind of a bit more awareness about how we can help kids with emotions and express it in a more helpful way what would you say can help increase emotional awareness like you're talking about some people are probably a little bit less conscious or a little bit less aware like what can then help people realize their emotions yeah I think regular check-ins so um in mindfulness space something called a three-minute breathing space and I think that Mm -hmm. is a really useful tool so it's short (laughs) three minutes by virtue of the name but it could be shorter if you wanted it to and if you picture an hourglass shape So at the top, it's wider. And in that first minute, you would just check in, notice the thoughts, feelings, bodily sensations that are here with you now, you know, urges, memories, like whatever sort of private experiences are unfolding. So it's like actively noticing and and kind of labeling the experience. And then coming into that middle part of the hourglass, you know, where it cinches in nice and tight, drawing your focus into your breath. So focusing on your inhale, your exhale, the space between really anchoring on that flow of breath. And then in the third minute, coming back out to the wide part, the base of the hourglass, re-expanding your awareness to encompass a sense of your entire body breathing, you know, sort of breathing into the bounds of the skin, breathing into the internal experiences as they are in that moment and kind of holding in awareness your entire being. So I think that's useful because it's really directive. You know, you know what to do with each of these minutes. It doesn't take a long time. And then you're getting in the habit of just checking in, just checking in with what's here. You know, and ultimately it's a practice of learning to notice, you know, notice that there's tension in your jaw, maybe it's clenched, maybe there's tension in your shoulders or your gut and notice what thoughts might be around in that moment. And then maybe starting to be able to label some of the emotional experiences. And if someone doesn't have like the language to label the emotions, this is where working with a therapist might be useful. This is where, you know, reading books on emotional state or well-being might be useful just to actually get some of that languaging to be able to discern different emotions, you know, to be able to discern the difference between like anguish and sadness, you know, like they are different. And if we can kind of fine tune our emotional vocabulary that can help us but we also need this regularly and I think what is also useful about that three-minute breathing space is to learn that fixation point like we learn to then focus on our breath for a minute you can be feeling all of these feels and you can still orientate your attention right you can redirect your attention which is a really useful skill because in life if we emotions completely take the reins we might not necessarily end our life in the direction we want to And it doesn't mean that our emotions are wrong or that we discount our emotions. I'm a big fan of noticing, naming our emotions, accepting our emotions, understanding our emotions, and choosing behavior that is in alignment and shifting our attention where it needs to be in any moment for effectiveness. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it kind of goes hand in hand with learning about emotional awareness. Like, I guess, as you were saying, like the language and what they are and how they felt. And I guess I've done that with um, like CBT in my own kind of therapies but I think it's yeah so powerful as well to have that coupled with the actual practice of checking in that actual where does it stress sit in my body where does like how does that feel and when you actually do the practice of noticing yourself I think that 
is really powerful too. And that what you're saying about emotions, I think that's so true having kind of, I guess you need a balance of, of guiding. Like you can't purely be run by just your emotions that can lead you a bit astray, but also not um, noticing them at all and thinking just straight logically or planning, I guess is just as harmful. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's um, acknowledging them is different from behaving their urges, but we can notice those urges might be there, right? Like when we're angry, it's really important to notice we're angry. I actually think it's really important to notice we're a bit irritated because if we notice we're a bit irritated or frustrated, then we actually know our emotional state before it gets to anger and suddenly we erupt. Like we start to notice our jaws clenching, our fists are kind of like <laughs> getting a bit tighter. And if we notice that, we might go, well, like I think I need a breather. I need to take a, like a couple of breaths, a break. And then it sort of allows us to redirect away from like that action urge of anger, which might be to, you know, punch a hole in the wall or scream at someone, something that could be super unhelpful for a relationship. So we can feel those things and we can choose how we act, right? Like you can feel angry and frustrated and still talk to someone really respectfully. It just helps to know how you're feeling and you can feel that and choose how you want to behave. Mm, And that's so powerful because your emotions can, I guess, leak out into other people. Like what I used to find is how I'm feeling would impact those around me. And then I would realize, like, if I was really anxious, I'll be, say, almost like stressing the person next to me out, you know, like the way I was talking or if I was being sporadic or if I was down, like it would affect the other person. And then me seeing changes in them made me realize something was going on with me. But now I can kind of notice it before it I kind of affects others or pans out. Like I can feel it in my body or how I'm feeling. But that's the thing with emotions. Like they can affect other people and who you're around like if you're getting outbursts of anger or how you're treating others like it's so important to understand because of the impact it has beyond just yourself of course yeah exactly exactly it's we're so connected aren't we and and not to say that we necessarily should change our emotional state for those around us but sometimes it might be um, helpful to kind of recognize where we're at and what we're kind of bringing into a room and in terms of energy and things like that yeah or how we display them I guess like as you were saying you can feel angry but not necessarily act in anger like I think it's important if you're feeling it you're feeling it but yeah I guess then how you deal with those emotions and how you display them because it can yeah it really can impact others and that's what I'm starting to kind of learn at the moment is checking in with how I'm feeling and then seeing how I'm displaying it because yeah I guess like not having that emotional awareness can really hurt people and can bring about some challenges that um wouldn't be there if emotional awareness was yeah yeah and then kind of linking this all back full circle as we kind of tie it together I suppose in a little bow for the end like the experiences are body-based right like I I like to say energy in motion emotion and and that energy Mm. is in our body and like we can we can describe what happens physically with any emotion we're experiencing it's not like from my perspective something that happens in our mind it's it's very body-based very visceral and the thinking can come after. It's not always that the thought comes first and then the emotion. Sometimes we can feel an emotion, something viscerally, and then our mind kind of like figures out, okay, this is what I'm feeling. What am I looking for? You know, the the thoughts can come second. So I don't think it's 
it's one direction or the other. And I think that that's where like some of these body-based practices, mindful movement practices that we might call yoga are really useful because we're learning to like notice and breathe into sensations in our experience uh, in our body part of me to kind of make room for those, like to breathe into little areas of tension and tightness and openness and see how that feels and shifts. And I think that is, is very um, useful in terms of our emotional awareness, given that I, I think emotions are body-based. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really beautiful to see um, psychology kind of being intertwined with yoga and that kind of more holistic thing. Cause I think you're absolutely right. Like it's important to understand our emotions in the body and, and how they feel and have those two tied together. So thank you so much for sharing some of yeah, your knowledge into emotions and the mind. And um, it's been yeah, really beautiful to kind of get to know you and, and understand a little bit more about ourselves. Oh, thank you, Elise. Thank you so much for having me here to chat. And I am yeah, really excited for the work you're doing. I think these offerings are really important. You know, we're very lucky that it sounds like we both have this interest in psychology and the more we yeah. can offer these frameworks, languaging to individuals, hopefully it's helpful in their journeys too. And like always take what's useful and <laughs> let go the rest. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's been yeah, really incredible to come across um, what you're kind of sharing with the way that you're going because I think it's, yeah, hitting the nail on the head in terms of that like, kind of, yeah, really holistic approach of understanding a lot of kind of compassion and understanding and something that's not taking anything too far. It's, yeah, really beautiful to see what you're doing. I've been very inspired. Oh, thank you, Elise. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. You're more than welcome.